You're listening to a message from Victory Christian Center in Farmer City, Illinois. For more information on Victory, please contact us at vccfarmercity.org. Well, if you have your Bible, open it to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to go back to the, the core text for this series. I think we've read this text or a portion of it every message in this series, so we're not going to stop now. Let's open one more time to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It says this, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but... Speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. So this passage is talking about us, and it is telling us that we need to become perfect. But we know that word perfect, of course, doesn't mean flawless. It means mature. Um, Right out of Strong's Concordance, when that word is used to describe people, it means brought to its end, complete, lacking nothing necessary for completeness. It means reaching your full development. So that's what he's talking about. And how do we know when we have reached our full development? Well, that's also in verse 13, till we all come to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Jesus is our standard. We looked at this verse earlier in this series, Luke 6, verse 40. Jesus said a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Well, we are disciples of him. He is our teacher, and he's the one we're supposed to be just like. I'll give you another one, Matthew five forty-eight. Jesus said, therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So that's the same word. We are to be fully developed and look just like Jesus. So we've spent a whole series talking about this, and we've looked at things like, what do we do to grow up? Well, it's compared to natural. We need to be feeding ourselves on the Word of God. God's words are both food and water for our spirit. It's spiritual food that we need on a daily basis. Likewise, we are to exercise ourselves in worship, in prayer, in the disciplines, in doing the words that you've read and that he's spoken to you and that you're learning, being doers of those words. Just like a natural physical body, what do we need to grow? We need food and we need exercise. It's no different. On the inside, we need food and we need exercise and we grow. How will you grow up all the way? How will you make it all the way to a complete development where you're lacking nothing? You are fully developed. The best advice I can give you, I will give you in two words, which is kind of the theme for my message this morning. Don't quit. Just keep going. Keep doing the things you're doing. Keep feeding. Keep exercising. Keep growing. And don't quit. 
Now that, that may sound simple, but people quit all the time. You'd be surprised. Now, at the, toward the end of last week's message, we looked at a passage and I kind of sort of introduced it. We kind of, we played around with it a little bit. Um, but I want to come back to it this morning and really grab a hold of it. And that's in James chapter one. Um, look at verse two for a moment. He says, my brethren, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. So we started to discuss that one last week. You know, typically, that's probably not the usual reaction to trials. That's not the automatic default position when a trial comes along in your life. You don't count it joy. That's probably why he had to put this in here. Because if it was automatic, then he would just know, well, if a trial comes along, you're going to count it all joy because that's normal. Well, I don't know that that would be at least in this earth defined as normal. Most people want to cry about it or complain about it or get depressed or run from it or get upset and angry or any number of other things that are sure not counting it all joy. But he's telling us count it all joy. Now, we did talk about last week that joy is not an emotion. Joy is not a feeling. Joy is not in any way a part of your soul. Joy is a fruit of your spirit. And that's different. Happiness, that's more of a soulish trait, and it's very circumstantial. But joy is a fruit of the spirit, just like love, joy, peace, patience, that whole list in Galatians chapter 5. And they all operate in a similar similar way They're a choice. Love is not always the automatic response when somebody does you wrong. In fact, it's very much not the automatic response for most people. You choose to love them. Well, joy is a similar thing. You choose to walk in joy or to count it joy. Patience, you choose to be patient. Um, Later down that list is self-control. We choose to walk in self-control. All nine of those fruit of the Spirit are things that we choose to walk in. Um, we did look last week at Psalm 1611, and I'm just picking out a piece of that verse right there in the middle. He says, in your presence is fullness of joy. So if I'm in a situation where he's telling me to count it all joy and I need some joy, where's a good place to go? Get into his presence. You will always find a fullness of joy in God's presence. And then we looked at Nehemiah 8.10. I think it's the end of the verse I'm going to, where he says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So we could just, in very simple terms at face value, we could recognize, all right, I'm going into a trial, however you want to define that. Something that's putting pressure on me. I'm going to need to get through this. He tells me count it all joy. So what's an easy answer? Get into God's presence where there's fullness of joy. Get charged up in that joy. And then that joy becomes my strength to now go back and face the trial that's knocking on my door. And really, that that would be completely accurate. But let's... Let's keep digging because that's too short of a message. <laughs> so we got to go a little further. Um, let's go back and look up some more. James 1 verse 2 again. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect 
and complete, lacking nothing. So that, that's, that's our goal of our series. That's what we're trying to do is we want to be perfect and complete, lacking nothing, full grown. And he's given us a huge key right here. He says, count it all joy when you fall into trials. Know that that trial is going to work patience in you. And that patience is going to do a work and you'll end up perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Are you, are you seeing it all in there? I didn't get a single amen. Nobody shouted glory, hallelujah. None of you look all that excited about the prospect of, well, if I could just go through some trials and some high-pressure situations, I'm going to grow and I'm going to be one step closer to complete and mature. Come on, bring me some trials. There's not a person in the room saying that. Yet, isn't that what he just said? Now, I'm not suggesting, let's go looking for trials. No, 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 no. There's plenty of them in this world. They tend to just come along all on their own, so we don't have to go looking. Should we assume then, if I just go through enough trials, I will be grown up? Actually, no. Because again, if it was automatic, we wouldn't need a lot of instruction. We would all be full grown by now. I bet most of us have had plenty of trials in this life. And if that were the automatic outcome, we would be just some of the most mature people around, wouldn't we? No, there was a choice in there. Now, the trials are going to come. I, 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 I can almost promise you that. Jesus said is if we're in this, in this earth, the trials will come. That's almost a, not a backhanded promise, but it's just a reality of living in a fallen world. We have an enemy, and he's out to mess with our life. So that's a given. What isn't the given is, are you or are you not going to count it all joy? Are you going to let patience have the work in you when you're going through that trial so that we can produce this outcome that he's talking about? Now, Here's a nice thing. He did say, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces patience. He did not say, enjoy it when you're in a trial. That's not the same thing. Counting it joy and enjoying it are not the same thing. Just as a casual thought, have you ever known people that it just seems like they enjoy trials? It's like every time you talk to them, they're going through something. They've got a trial they're going through and whatever the case may be. On the rare chance you catch them when they're not going through a trial, they don't know what to talk about. They're not sure what to do with themselves because they just need to be going through a trial. Have you ever known someone like that? I, I heard a, a pastor say this one time, and I'll quote him later. His name's Rick Renner. But he said, if you enjoy suffering Two things. Number one, you need Jesus. <laughs> and he said, number two, you need psychiatric help. He said, there is nothing enjoyable about suffering. And I, I think most of us would agree. Well, he didn't say to enjoy it, but he did say to count it as joy. Count it all joy. So what's that word mean? The word counted. We have two words, count it, but it's one Greek word. And it means to consider, to deem, to lead, to rule, to have authority. That's an interesting word. Now, 
in one aspect, probably the most common usage of that word in the Greek language is actually uh, mathematical or accounting. You're right up my alley. <laughs> I would be using this word all the time. In a generic sense, it means to add it up and see what it adds up to. Um, like two plus two, four. Four plus four, eight. Add it up, see what it amounts to. But the way the Apostle Paul's using it, he's bringing in another element of that word because it also means to lead, to rule, to have authority over. So in the context that he's using it, he's saying, add it all up and then decide that it adds up to joy. You're going to rule over that addition problem and you're going to tell it what the outcome is. I'm going to add up all the components and look at that, it adds up to joy. May not feel like it, probably won't look like it, but you're going to decide that adds up to joy. So, two plus two, I've decided that adds up to four. All right. But you may think though, hmm, trouble plus trouble. Well, that would add up to double trouble, right? Pain plus more pain. You'd think that's double pain, right? That that's what that would add up to. Unless you're a child of God who knows how to walk by faith. And when you find that circumstances are adding up to something that disagrees with God's word, well, now we know God's word would rule. You can make the decision, hmm, trouble plus trouble in this situation, that adds up to joy. And that adds up to victory in my life. And I will come out of the other side of this trial victorious. Not because of who I am, but because of what God's word says. Are you see what he's doing here? Does that sound like something to you? That's a faith issue. This is all about faith. The trial will not necessarily be enjoyable, and it may not feel like joy, but you're choosing. I'm going to count it joy. I'm going to count it joy. It's a faith issue. Go back to it again. Verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith. What's the trial doing? It's testing your faith. It was right there. I kept reading over it. It's a faith issue. Your faith is being tested in this trial. Are you seeing it? And if we survive this, now this whole trial will produce patience in us and that will lead us to a victory. But you're in a situation where what you see disagrees with what God has said. And now you have to choose. Is trouble plus trouble going to equal a mess of trouble in my life? Or am I going to take God at his word and trouble plus trouble is going to mean joy and victory in my life? It's a choice. What's on trial? Your faith. Are you going to stay strong with what you believe? Or are you going to abandon or quit what you believe and just go with the circumstances? That's what's going on here. Now, let me put a little a little disclaimer up here. There's kind of two different kinds of trials in life. Now, there are times when God will test you. Test's a better word. But if you study it through Scripture, you're going to find that God's tests are usually a test of obedience. 
He's asking you to do something or not do something or there's something in your walk with Him where He's going to test your obedience. Will you obey me in this? If you pass that test, they will always, 100% of the time, produce reward. He will reward you for the right answer. Hebrews 11.6 says God is a rewarder. That's His nature. And when you pass an obedience test, there is not a, a past obedience test that goes unrewarded. Many times it'll even lead to promotion. You'll move up in your walk with him. Those are the kinds of tests God has. He's always looking to better you, to advance you, to reward you, and to promote you. And so his tests will usually be along the lines of obedience. Will you obey him? But there is someone else in the earth who wants to mess with you. I will remind you of John 10.10. The thief does not come except... To steal, kill, or destroy. Those, one of those three reasons or a combination thereof. It's the only reason he comes. If the enemy has set foot in your life, there's his goal. That's his MO. He doesn't come for any other reason. So if the, the, the trial you're under is attempting to steal from you, kill you, or destroy something in your life, then this trial did not come from God. It came from the devil. He has also put you into a trial. But his outcome is always to do one of those three things. And so you recognize. We can we often treat him similar, but recognize the source. If if stealing, killing, or destroying is trying to happen in your life, it's not God behind it. Just pointing that out. But now let's get back to it. How are we going to respond then to trials? Well, read it one more time my brethren I'm going to read this several times you're going to have this memorized by the time we're done my brethren count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience your faith what you believe your trust in his word is being tested are you going to stand true to what you believe are you going to believe God's word in spite of circumstances Or are you going to cave on what you believe and go with the circumstances? Testing of faith will always look like this. If what you believe and circumstances agree, there's no test. It can't be a testing of your faith because they're all living in harmony. Remember 11, uh, Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. When what you see agrees with what you believe, there's no test. It's only when what you see and what you believe disagree that now you have to choose one or the other. That's when the test happens. If you don't see it, If you don't feel it, if it doesn't look like it, if it doesn't sound like it, if you can see and can feel, there's no faith involved. Have you ever heard someone say, well, seeing is believing? That's scripturally backwards. Scripturally backwards, believing will lead to seeing. What's the 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, for we walk by faith. Not by what you see. Not by sight. See, it's when the two disagree, we have to choose. And we choose to walk by what we believe, not by what we're seeing. That's when faith is being tested. If you look healed, if you sound 
healed. If you feel healed, then your circumstances are your evidence. There's no need of faith right there. Faith is the evidence of what you can't see. But when you can see it, you have evidence. Your strong, healthy, strapping, good-looking body is your evidence. What? No one got excited about that either. Come on. Anyway, faith steps in when they disagree. All right, so what does it take to stand in faith when nothing around you seems to be changing? Hmm. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. So in this trial of faith, once you've made the decision, okay, I know it looks like this, a mess of trouble, but God's word says this, I'm going to stand on God's word. And I trust that one way or another, what God said is going to be my experience. Now, once you've made that decision, what's it going to take? Patience. You're going to have to stand. I mentioned um, earlier that I was going to quote him again. Rick Renner wrote a devotional that I really like. And, uh, and let me explain it. Before. I don't know if you have it or not. Um, it's called Sparkling Gems. And let me describe it. Some of you might get excited and say, hey, I want that devotional. Some of you might go, I don't know. (laughs) He is a Greek scholar. And so in his devotional, every day's reading, he'll have a Bible verse. And then somewhere in that Bible verse, he's going to pull out a Greek word. And then he's going to do a whole study on that Greek word and where it came from and how it's used and what it means. And he's going to try to enlighten that verse of Scripture. So if you like that kind of stuff, which I do, clearly, it's a great devotional. you really enjoy it. If that's not quite your thing... There's lots of good devotionals out there. But he wrote about this. He said the early church called patience the queen of all virtues. Patience is the queen of all virtues. The early church believed that if someone possessed that one virtue, they could survive anything that ever came against them. That word patience, here comes the study, it's the Greek word hupomone. It means steadfastness, constancy, endurance. Um, According to Strong's uh, Concordance, it's the characteristic of a man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety, even by the greatest trials and sufferings. Patience describes the man who is not moved, no matter what kind of pressure is put on him. Now back to the the devotional with Rick Renner. He says the determination inherent in this word is clearly seen when it was used in a military sense to picture soldiers who were ordered to maintain their positions even in the face of fierce combat. The order was to stand their ground and defend what they had gained. Patience is the state of mind that says, this is my spot, and I'm not moving. The early church called patience the queen of all virtues for good reason. They knew that as long as they had this character quality working in their lives, it wasn't a question of if they would win their battles. 
It was only a question of when they would win their battles. That's the attitude we have to have whenever we step into a testing of our faith. That no matter what comes my way, no matter how much pressure is put on me, no matter what circumstances look like around me, I will stand my ground. And I will not be moved. I will stand on God's word, and I don't care if I have to stand a day, a month, a year, however long it takes, I will not move. That's patience. That's the queen of all virtues. That's the attitude the Apostle Paul had when he wrote, none of these things move me. That's the attitude we must have. None of these things move me. Let's read it again. My bre- I told you several times. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. What's one of the ways you know you can stand in patience and stand your ground and not move? It's because you know what the end will be. You may not know when, but you know what. You know what the end's going to be. The end's going to be exactly what God said it's going to be. And I'm going to choose to let patience work in me and in this situation. Let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect. And that's the same word here in James that we've already seen over in Ephesians. It means complete, lacking nothing. That's what it will produce in us, brought to its end, reaching your full development. How do we then get to the end? Count it all joy. No matter what trial comes along, we go ahead and we just say, God's word says this, and that's it. I'm going to stand. And some of you may appreciate this more than others, but I would say, go ahead and get a little sassy about it. Say, what do you mean? Hey, the devil is bold to put thoughts in your head. Get sassy with him and just say, you know what, devil? You went a step too far this time. You picked the wrong person this time. I'm going to make you eat this because my God is a big God and his word does not fail. And I am going to come out the other side of this victorious and you will regret that you messed with me. Why? Because I have a big God. And now, no matter how long it takes, I will not quit. Just have that attitude. That's patience. That's not, in a really, in a sense, it's not being cocky. <laughs> what is it? That's being patient. So go ahead, be a little sassy with him. So, here's the, the part that we know is true, we kind of wish wasn't true, but we all recognize is true. This is not always a quick process. So many people, they they say, yes, I want to grow and I want to develop and I want to be just like Jesus. So I want to go find me the most anointed preacher I can find and have him pray over me and lay hands on me and I'll just receive maturity and I'll be grown. No, no, not going to get that way. Okay, well, if I will just study the Bible hard enough and I'm going to find a secret revelation that no one's seen that's just going to open my eyes and I will be mature. 
Uh, no, it doesn't work that way. Maybe if I do something extreme, I'm going to go on a 30-day fast. 40-day. Jesus did 40 days. I'm going to go on a 40-day fast. And by the time I come out of this, I will be mature. No, that doesn't work either. All right, maybe if I would just read through my entire Bible in seven days. That's a tall order. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that would take. Okay. What if I just, what if I went into a season of prayer? What if I prayed all night long? I prayed for 24 hours nonstop. Then I'll be more mature. No, you have to let patience have her perfect work. That's the picture of growing up. There are times we just have to, it, it can I say it this way? It's not a sprint. It's an endurance race. It's it's not a question of how fast can you run today. The more important question is, are you still running tomorrow? See, it's not can you read 500 pages of your Bible this afternoon. Can you read your Bible every day? You'd be better off to read a chapter a day than 500 pages in an afternoon and then not touch it again. I suppose if you could read 500 pages every day, more power to you. But for most people, it's not the sprint. It's the endurance race. Can you set a pace and then keep it? Can you read your Bible every day? It's not can you spend 24 hours in prayer, but can you pray every day? Maybe it's 15 minutes a day. I don't, I don't know what it is. For some people it's more, but it's not about necessarily how long. Can you do it every day? Can you set a pace? This is a marathon. And will you still be doing it tomorrow? Strong, mature Christians are not developed overnight. It comes in a process of time. It, it's no different in the natural. We, we're talking about grandbabies. Not one of those situations are mom and dad going to take that newborn baby and lay them in the crib. And I don't care what you stuck in that baby bottle. You're not going to come back a day later and they're 18 ready to leave the house. Full grown matured. Hi, mom. No. It's an endurance race. Ooh, I could go down that path, couldn't I? <laughs> Raising kids is an endurance race. And you need patience. Oh, that's a whole nother message. But you understand, it's no different with spiritual development. This is an endurance race. And it takes time. It takes consistency. So as I, I'm heading toward my conclusion, I want to go to Hebrews 10, verse 35, because he kind of uses this terminology. Um, Paul says, Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Why does he say, don't cast away your confidence? Why do we have need of endurance? Because everything doesn't happen the moment you pray a prayer. The answer doesn't always come the moment you say amen. Boy, what kind of life would that be? I just kind of close my eyes and I pray a prayer and as soon as I open them, there's the answer. Maybe once in a while, but not typically. What? This is an endurance race. It connects more, maybe more appropriately with Galatians 6, 9. It says, let us not grow weary while doing good for in due season we will reap 
if we do not lose heart. That's really a better picture of walking with God is you're sowing seed and you're caring for that seed and it grows into something and produces fruit. It's so contrary. So many people today, we're in, I don't want to say this, we have a fast food mentality. I want to place my order and I want handed it to me in a couple of minutes and if you take too long, I get impatient. I want, what's the slogan from, is it Burger King? Your way right away at Burger King now. I'm not plugging Burger King, but it's a mentality of I, I want it now. Microwave mentality. We want it fast. And that mentality has crept into the church, and some people want to treat God that way. Well, God, I'm going to pray this prayer, and I want to see results before the sun sets. Things don't move that quick. This is not a sprint. It's more of a, an endurance race. And so what happens for a lot of people? Well, in their race, maybe they trip. Maybe they make a mistake. Maybe that mistake was a sin. Maybe it wasn't. But maybe they commit a sin. For some people, maybe they've got just this one sin that they just can't seem to get a hold of. It's a, it's a repetitive thing. They just can't seem to get the victory over. Or you could go another direction. Maybe they didn't make any mistake, but someone close to them sinned against them. And now they're dealing with offense. Whatever the situation, something comes along that produces pressure. And if they're not seeing results and resolution quick enough, what do they do? They throw in the towel. They get out of the race. They quit a relationship. They quit their family. They quit their church. They quit praying. Some quit their faith and walk away from God. They start believing lies. Um, one example, some people will start believing, well, I could never be like Jesus. What was I thinking? I can't live a holy life. I could never be perfect. I can't give tithes and offerings like I want to. I just don't have enough money. I'm barely getting by as it is. Or I'll never be healthy and whole. I know Christians who are far better Christians than me and they didn't get healed. What am I thinking I'm going to do? What? And the devil will be quick to put any thought in your head that he can get you to throw in the towel and quit. Get out of the race. That's his goal, is to get you to quit. And he will beat you down with whatever circumstances he can to get you short-sighted. And not look at the big picture. Not remember what God said was at the end of the race. Are you with me? I, I imagine... And this, this is just an opinion. Can I say this? I'm not going to quote a verse on this. It seems to me like it's worse than it's ever been, quitting. Um, I suppose I have no way of doing this. If we could hop in my DeLorean and go back in time, maybe it's always been a problem. I don't know. But it just seems like we have more quitting than we've ever had. And when I talk to business owners, I, I get a lot of agreement. But it just seems like, although sometimes we make it easy because we don't call it quitting. We call it, well, I changed my mind. That doesn't sound as bad, right? Or, or we try to make it sound spiritual. Well, 
I, I just feel led to do something different now. Do you? <laughs> so you walked away from what God said because you feel led. But anything we can do, what, to walk away? Because what? Because it got difficult. Because I got under pressure. Because my faith was being tested. And I got uncomfortable. And it was taking too long. So they decided to quit. Hmm. I'll say this. Understand everything. Just I read it again. Understanding what James said. If you quit when things get difficult, you'll never grow up. It's walking the process to the end that produces maturity. It's standing no matter how long you have to stand. It is not caving on what you believe, but standing firm on what God's Word said. Patience will never have its perfect work in you if you quit. Which takes me back to where I started this morning. What's two words you need to know so you can grow up and look just like Jesus? Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. Don't be short-sighted. But keep your eyes on the big picture. Hmm. Don't allow the circumstances of the situation cloud your vision and lead you to make a big decision based on small circumstances. Now, let me, let me clarify. I am not calling your situation small. Don't, don't misunderstand me. Um, if your circumstances weren't creating pressure, it wouldn't be much of a test. So yes, especially in the moment it may feel huge. When I say little is when I take that step back and I look at the big picture of whatever I'm going through now compared to my whole walk with God in this life and in the next. In a, Here's how I want to close this morning. I'm going to give an illustration of what I'm trying to say right now. James chapter 5, in verse 11, he says, Indeed, we count them blessed. I think this is one of the ones in the King James where they actually did use the word happy. Indeed, we count them happy who endure. Maybe not while they were enduring, but because they endured and came out the other side, they counted it joy while they endured, and then they were happy when they made it out the other side. Are you seeing it? So who are those who are truly happy? Those who endure. Like Job. I want to pay attention to this. This is the only New Testament reference to Job. Now, I I think we all know who Job is. Um, Job had a bit of a trial he went through. And there's a book in the Old Testament written about it. All right? This is the only New Testament reference. So if... There is one of, if not the most important lessons that we need to learn from Job. This might be it. Does that make sense? So indeed we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. So what should we take away from Job? He persevered. And that's the same word, patience. 
there's just translators use different words sometimes. Um, the word patience and perseverance are the same word in the Greek. But anyway, so we know of Job's patience and we know what God's end was, what he was able to do with Job because he wouldn't quit. <laughs> His wife tried to get him to. She was a pistol. She was the one who looked at him and said, why don't you just give it up and quit? Is she the one that just said, why don't you curse God? If I did not go look this up, I am digging through memory. Didn't she say, why don't you just curse God and die? <laughs> I love you too, honey. <laughs> she was there for her husband in his darkest hour. Wow. But he would not. He would not throw in the towel. Now, he didn't get everything right. And he said some things that were wrong. And when you get to the end of the book of Job, God called him on it, and he had some repenting to do. Now, I will say this. I don't think he said anything wrong on purpose. He just had some wrong ideas that led him to some wrong beliefs that made him say some wrong things about God. Now, God corrected him. <laughs> so it wasn't ill will. But even in his wrongness, he wouldn't quit. And he wouldn't throw in the towel, and he stood. So what do we take away from the book of Job? He would not quit, and God had an intended end, that he's very compassionate and merciful. Now, Bible scholars tell us, when you think of Job, if I bring up Job, and I say the book of Job, where does your mind go? When you picture Job in your mind, what do you tend to think? Now, maybe you're different, but it seems like a lot of people immediately go to the trial, the, the test. And a big part of Job is wrestling with that. But they think about, oh, I think, like, was it all 10 of his kids died? It was a bunch of them. He had kids die. He had possessions stolen. He got a disease in his body. I mean, if it wasn't just one little, it wasn't a hangnail. He went through some stuff. All right? That's what a lot of people remember. Most scholars figure that that entire trial, from the time the first bad thing happened to when he came out the other side, was about nine months. It was about a nine-month trial. It was, and I'm probably not exaggerating, it was nine months of hell on earth. It was quite a trial. But now, what's the big picture? Scholars also agree that he was about 70 years old when the trial started. So what were the first 70 years of his life? What did they look like? Um, pretty good, really. He had seven sons, three daughters, a lot of possessions. He was one of the richest people in all the Middle East. Uh, scripture called him the greatest of all the people of the East. Not too bad. I'd say he's doing okay. And then he had nine months of, yeah, really bad. Okay, but after that nine months, then what does Job look like? Does anyone remember this? What does life look like? Well, let's see. The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. Uh, he had another seven sons and three more daughters. 
And it says, In the land were found no women so beautiful as the daughters of Job. And their father gave them, the daughters, an inheritance right along with the brothers, which was unusual in that culture. But he had it to give. He was the wealthiest man in all the East going into it. He was even more so afterward. After the nine-month trial, Job lived 140 years, saw his children and grandchildren to four generations. When he died, he was old and full of days. So if you just look at the, the trial, that little nine-month period out of Oh, quick math. What's 70 plus 140? 210? And maybe add nine months? He's doing pretty good. So if you just want to look at that little nine-month period out of a 240-some year life, you get almost a distorted view of what his life was like. If you really want an accurate picture of his life, yeah, he had a couple low points, but by and large, he lived a pretty good life. God did a lot of wonderful things in life. It's about perspective. And so that's what I was trying to get at a moment ago when I said, don't let the circumstances in that trial cause you to get short-sighted and make big decisions over something that's happening in just a little moment of your life. Because you have so much more life before and after. Does that, does that make sense now? Does that put a little more perspective on it? If you're just going to look at a single trial and not the big picture, you'll make wrong decisions. Hmm. Last thing I want to talk about. Failing a test will not defeat you. Just because you made a mistake doesn't mean it's over. Doesn't mean you lose. Let's use something simple. I always like to go back to food because we can all relate. And if you've ever been on a diet, you can relate. Let's say you got someone who's wanting to lose a few pounds, and so they're on a diet. You may consider that to be a trial of your faith. I don't know. But there's pressure, and they're on a diet. And let's say they have a weak moment, and they ate something they shouldn't have. And I'm not talking a cookie or two. They ate the whole pie. All right. So there's a temptation in to think, well, I failed. I guess this diet's over. I don't know what I was thinking, even trying. I'm just, I'm just not a person that can lose weight, you know, because clearly I, I, I screwed up. No, you didn't. Can I use military term? You didn't lose the war. You just maybe lost one battle. It's time to get right back in there. Get back on the horse and keep going. Don't quit the race because you failed one test. Get back on your feet and keep trying. You don't fail a diet because you ate something you shouldn't have. Okay, well, let's get back on it and keep moving. Are you with me? Get back on the horse. I want to show you this verse, Proverbs twenty four sixteen. Did I do it in the New Living? Oh, good. The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. They said this when I was in Bible school. They said, you are never a failure until you fail to get back up. Just because you tripped and fell, just because you failed one test, doesn't mean you've lost, doesn't mean it's over. Back to those two words, don't quit. 
Get back up. What's the rest of that verse? I didn't have it in my notes. The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. But the one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. It doesn't take much to get them to quit. So which half of that verse needs to describe us? I'm the one who gets back up. I may fall. I may fall more than once. I may fall seven times. But I'm going to get back up. And I don't think he's trying to make a hard and fast number. Maybe, ah, I just, I did it for the eighth time. There's no hope for me. No, 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 no. The point is, get back up. Don't quit. Keep moving. You're not a failure until you fail to get back up. There is no problem you can face that is too big for God to handle so long as you don't quit. So long as you don't throw in the towel. If you quit, he no longer has the right to help you out of it. He cannot and he will not impose his will on you against your will. And when you quit, you left him sitting by his word and you went another way. Does that make sense? So don't let the testing of your faith cause you to quit. What do we do? Count it all joy. Let patience have its perfect work. All the while knowing I'm growing up. Amen. Stand to your feet.